So this is the last sermon in the series of Haggai that we've been on. I know it's taken some time for us to get through the short book of two chapters, but mainly because there's so much information that there is to cover within this book. And it's such a good book for the times that we're in. And, and so not to take up too much time, because I do want to get into this word today. I want to give you some context to where we are in case we've missed a couple weeks. I know we had a guest speaker come in last week, and I'm so thankful and blessed for the ministry that my dad and my mom brought last week. I hope you were touched by that as well. Um, but I do want to get back into Haggai. Haggai chapter 1 taught us how the people originally had a zeal, had a passion for the things of God. Um, how the Persian king allowed them back into their homeland with the sole purpose of rebuilding the temple and how the rebuild started and the Lord gave a warning to them. He said, give careful thought to your ways because they had built for themselves houses of luxury while the house of God remained in ruin. So God, what did he do? He withheld the blessing from them due to their sin and their selfish nature. They cared more about their needs than the needs of God and God's work was neglected as said in uh, chapter one, verse nine, because my house remains a ruin. Okay, God's people were content because it said, while each of you is busy with your own house, and then empty excuses were being offered when it said that the people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house, like the people had any control over what God wanted. God wanted them to rebuild. They decided to stop, so they were content just living their own lives when God wanted them to do something different. So what happened? They became a self-centered, worldly-minded people, and because of that, the consequences were, okay, that that God withheld the blessing from them. He withheld the blessing. And so you enter the prophet who now came in and spoke the word of the Lord over the people. And when the prophet came to speak, one of the most amazing things happened. The people's attitude towards God changed. Their, their, their attitude towards Haggai changed and their attitude towards God's word changed and the work of the temple resumed. We got into Haggai chapter two and it opened up with the work beginning again. Praise God, right? But then within a month, um, discouragement set in, which, by the way, is a tactic of the enemy used by people and also brought from playing a comparison game. And it all led to the rebuild being stopped yet again. So into the prophet Haggai once again, and this time he gave them a message of hope. And he said, look, I know it doesn't look like it once did. He said, I know it, 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 my intention isn't to repeat. My intention is to build something new. And what God told them to do in that moment, he said, I just want you to get back to work. I want you to stop the busyness that you've done, the, the excuses that you, that you gave to stop my work. And I want you to just get back to work. Because see, what you don't realize is the Messiah himself is going to show himself within this temple. So I need this temple rebuilt. I need you to just get back to work. It doesn't have to look the same. I just need it so that my son can come through. And then we learned about this once more, God, about I just shared the passage that this is what the Lord Almighty said. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come. Isn't that awesome? And, and I will fill this house with glory. 
that what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory. Silver is mine. The gold is mine. The glory of the present house will be greater. Listen to that word greater. It means more than. It means better than. It means being filled with the presence of God that my glory that will fill this house yet again will be greater than that of the past. And in this place he said, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. So then we enter into that promise today. And, and this is what the remainder of Haggai chapter 2 says in a sermon that I call from this day on. I will bless you. I want you to pray with me and ask that the Lord use me during this message. Lord God, I thank you so much for this time of worship that we had. I thank you for entering into the presence. God, I thank you for the praise team. I thank you for the band. I thank you for the ministry that you have given them. And I thank you for just the sweet, sweet presence of Almighty God. God, I, I, I am just in awe of you, God. I am in awe of you, God. It's, it's, it's just me and you right now, Jesus. You are so awesome. You are so worthy. And I want to give you the praise this morning that you deserve. God, I just ask you right now that you'd be with the rest of this message. God, that you would speak to your servant right now God that every word out of my mouth is is ordained by the Lord God Almighty Lord that it is not me but it is you God I pray that you do with me what you did with Moses when you were his mouth when he spoke that confidence that you gave him and God I pray over the body of Christ today that you'd open up their eyes to see their ears to hear and 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 their uh, minds to know the truth of your word and it's in your name I pray and everybody said Amen and amen. Haggai chapter 2, starting verse 10. We're going to end this, this book today. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, that means if I carry in something holy, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other foods, which means unholy, does it become consecrated? Asking the question, if I take something holy and touch it with something unholy, does that which is unholy become holy? And the priest answered said, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body, meaning if something unholy comes and touches something that is, does that thing become unholy? And it does. So he's saying that if something holy touches something that is unholy, that which is holy becomes unholy. But that which is unholy, if it touches holy, that which is holy does the same thing. So it, 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 there's nothing good that can come out of something unholy and, and, and unholy being mixed. Okay? So then it, it, um, it, it, it uh, goes on to say... Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord, whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how many things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine, watch what it says, it's less than half. So when you brought to me what was unholy, I decreased your amount because I cannot stand that which is unholy. So he says, he said, from this, uh, he said, I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, 
declares the Lord. Verse 18, from this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. He says it twice to give careful thought, meaning I think we need to pay attention to that. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? He's asking a question because if you remember, God struck the land to where nothing that they produced, no seed that they planted would bear fruit. So he's saying, look, do you have anything left? You've already used it all. So now you, the only thing you can do is just trust me. He said, he said until now the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not borne fruit. But what's it say? From this day on, I will bless you. You know why I think part of it's because they reached that place where they understood what God was now trying to tell them. And because now they had nothing else to rely on, so the only seed left was that which was in the ground. So that was their last remaining harvest. And so any harvest that comes after is, is dependent upon what's already in the ground. And, 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 um, and the Lord said, is there anything left in the barn? Well, of course their answer was no. So now you have to trust me. And he said, from this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter, listen to the words he's using, the powers of the king. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall each by the sword of his brother. And on that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant, and here's what he says, and I will make you like a signet ring, which if you know anything about that, it's one of the most important things that they carried in that day. That meant you are appointed, you are chosen, you are mine. And the Lord said that you today, I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. So in Haggai 2 here, God gives us these, these last two messages to the people. And in the first of these two messages, God takes the people back over their experiences of the, of the previous 16 years with a view to impressing upon them some important spiritual lessons. And in the last message, um, uh, um, uh, it was really for the leader of the time, God brought a message of comfort and assurance for tomorrow. I want us to look at these today. So number one, what, what, what were these questions that they asked God's priest? The Jews thought, now listen. The Jews thought that as long as they observed the various outward rituals of religious worship, as long as they observed them, everything was all right between them and God, and God would bless them. But how many of you here know that it's not just about watching, but it's about being a part? Right? So God wanted to correct such an idea. So he told the people to go and ask the priest to give a ruling on two proposed scenarios relating to the law. What were these questions? The, the first question was this. In the first instance, the priests were asked if a person carries consecrated meat to the fold of his garment and that fold touches some bread, stew, wine, or any other object, is it consecrated? In other words, can something that is holy make something that is unholy holy? The question is no. The second question was if a person defiled by, um, by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, that is something that had been holy, does it become unholy? And once again, into simpler language, can something that is unholy defile something that is holy? And the answer is yes. 
In the same context, the point that he was trying to make that holiness is not just passed from one person to the next. A holy ordinance cannot make an unholy person who is doing it holy. It takes a holy person doing a holy thing to make them holy. So what's he saying here? He's saying kind of like if if you see in the nature, if you take a box of apples, of rotten apples, and you put a good apple in the middle of it, what will happen? Will that good apple make all of the other bad ones good? No. In the same way that if you take a basket of bad apples and just just put, or sorry, if you take a basket of good and just put one bad one in it, what does the Bible say? Or what 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 actually happens? The one bad will cause all the others to become rotten. That's why the Bible says that um to to uh, to um that a uh, bad company corrupts good character because we have to watch who we're with. We have to watch who we're around. Parents, watch who your children hang out with. Bad company corrupts good character. Parents, make sure you know who you're hanging out with. Because that which is holy, that touches something unholy, cannot make it holy. So we have to be careful what we do. Man, that's that's some powerful words, and I hope you understand that today, that we have to make sure that this holy God that we serve, that we're acting in the same way. So, we're in this COVID-19 season, same concept. If somebody has COVID and I have good health, if I go and touch them, guess what? They don't become healthy. I become sick. So, we must be careful. So, the principle that God clearly says here. And it's a lesson that he wanted his people to learn. So he asked this, but then he doesn't just stop there. Because the thing I love about God is not only does he ask the question, but then he gives us application to apply it to our own lives. So verse number 14 drives the point home when he said, So it is with this people and in this nation in my sight, declares the Lord, whatever they do and whatever they offer is basically unholy. God's purpose in getting the people to go to the priests and ask them these questions was not just a mere academic exercise aimed at improving the understanding of the law it was to challenge them with regards to the empty unacceptable nature that they had had in those days he was challenging them to get their hearts right with God because what happened they lost the heart of worship The people were still bringing their sacrifice to the altar. They were still going through the outward forms of their religion. Public worship was still maintained. The appearance of holiness was there, but it was absent from their heart. The people drew near to God with their lips, but their hearts were far removed. Their relationship with God was not what it should have been. Now all the while, the people were observing their religious duties, the things they were supposed to do. All the while, they were going through the routine, the mechanics of worshiping God. They thought that that alone, that God was pleased, that he accepted their worship, and he had to make sure that I get the message across to my people that it is not okay. Man, 
Holy things do not impart holiness. According to the first principle, he wanted them to understand that the ritual of worship has no inherent power in and of itself to make the person performing it holy. The elements of worship may have been holy things in and of themselves, but although they were holy, they did not impart holiness to the ones using them. And unholy things pollute that which is holy, according to um, principle two, namely that, that this pollution can be communicated to one thing to another, and that, un, and that unholy mixed with holy makes it unholy. All throughout the Bible, we hear about these types of things. Isaiah chapter 1, he dealt with the same things. I need you to listen to what he says. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats when you come to appear before me. Who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Listen to what he says because this is so powerful. He says, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Wow. I'm, I'm not making this up now. This is word of God. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Meaning, if a prayer meeting is unholy, the prayer meeting's in sin. That which is holy must only be with that which is holy. He goes on to say, they have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Woo! Listen to the words of God. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Why is God talking like this? Weren't these not forms of worship that he himself had ordained? Yes. But the holy ordinance that had been instituted and ordained for worship had been profaned and polluted because the people were sinful. They were not right with God. Therefore, what they did was not right with God. We have another one, um, uh, Jeremiah chapter 6, dealt with the same thing. Listen, what do I care about incense from Sheba or sweet calamus from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices do not please me. It was the same in Haggai's day. In spite of their sinful condition, they were still bringing their sacrifices to the Lord. They were going through the motions of external religion. But that's all it was, an external ritual. That's why God says to the people that, that so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer is defiled. Why? Because, and I want to preach for just a moment, because worship is so much more than just what I do. Amen. I, <laughs> worship is more than just what I do. Guess what? It's who I am. Worship is who I am. If, if I think that as long as I come to church, sing praises to God, join in prayer, give an offering, take a communion, that these things will make me holy, the passage in, in, in this word tells me it doesn't happen that way. My life must count for something. 
My life must mean something. You, and and I, I hear it all the time. You know, when I talk to people who have been out of church there, you know, for quite a long time, they were raised, they were born um, um, a bite in the back of the pews. They, they read the red back hymn, 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 hymns. They, they did everything they, in that time. And they knew God and, and they, were, they, they gave their heart to Christ. But somewhere along the way, something happened and they went away from God. And you, you even know people yourself that aren't where they need to be today because something happened within the church. There was church hurt that happened and it causes them to not want to come back. Do we all know somebody like that? Yes, church hurt happens. And the problem is the thing that the church has been accused of, the reason why it has a bad name is it's things that we've done. It's things that we've done. The fact of the matter is the spiritual pollution of the heart is transmitted to the very worship in which you engage in. And that worship is unacceptable to God. That's what the Bible says, and thus turns away the one needing Christ. Because if there's one thing I've heard over and over, well, church is a bunch of hypocrites. That's what I've heard. And I'm telling you, we have to change this. My life must be life-giving. It has to count for something. My life should be one that is holy and acceptable. That when somebody sees the actions of what I do, that it represents the Jesus inside of me. So that they want to say, hey, that person's joyful all the time. That person's happy all the time. I'm not. I need whatever he's got. And then it opens the door for you to lead somebody to Christ. But what is it? It's the outward expression of the thing inside of you it's a matter of the heart so the only solution to this condition is to have our heart cleansed by the blood of Christ the scripture tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin run to the cross and cry out for forgiveness Jesus said what him that cometh to me I will never turn away isn't that the glory of his power is that it doesn't matter how old you are how far gone that you think you are that if you come running to Christ he's there with open arms saying welcome home my child do you understand that today it doesn't matter if you've had 60 years of, of sin. If you come to Jesus open and willing, He says you are set free. Let me tell you something. David understood this. David said, and I love David, so we're going to talk about him for just a minute. He said, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Religious ritualism is worthless because it cannot make us right with God. David goes on to say that the sacrifices of God are like a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise a heart that is broken and contrite on account of its sin is what God is looking for. Such a heart cries out to God as David did when he said, cleanse me, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. A heart of repentance washes away the stain. So what did Haggai do here? He, when he spoke this message to them, he gave them a message of God's providence. And he said, and, and he returns to a theme that he had already taken up within chapter one, namely the dealings with his people, when he said, Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was led on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone comes to a heap of twenty, there were only ten. Okay, what he's saying is that I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you do not return to me. What's God doing? God's reminding them where they used to be. 
Because sometimes to truly accept where God's taken me, I have to remember where I once was. So what he's doing here, for those people that just weren't quite sure what all God has done in their life, he said, don't you remember what I did back in chapter 1? Don't you remember when I withheld the blessing from you? Don't you remember when I brought all those things that stopped the growth of your crops? Now I want you to consider how things were because he doesn't want you to make the same mistake twice. The two crops of their time, wheat and wine, were both reduced by less than half. Were they expected 20? There were 10. God allowed much of the crops to be destroyed. He was doing this to get their attention. This is to get them to wake up spiritually. But it seems that the people at the time looked upon it as just bad luck. The the external hardships were not considered as God's call to repentance until Haggai later explained them. God was speaking to them through circumstances. Guess what? God doesn't always speak through an audible voice. Sometimes he speaks through the situations that we go through. And what the Lord was trying to teach then and what he's trying to teach now is he's saying, be sensitive to my voice. Be sensitive to my speaking. God is saying, be sensitive to the circumstances. He said, from this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. That is, look back on where you were and look where I've brought you. You see, it's very easy for us to forget that God speaks to us not only through His Word, but also through His works. Look. God sometimes will allow adverse situations in your life to get your attention. Well, pastor, that's not the loving, holy God. Yes, it is. Look, if my oldest son does something wrong, what do I do? I correct that which he does. If he continues to do wrong, I have to go about other means to making sure that he doesn't do the same thing over and over again and sometimes that means grounding him sometimes that means taking him away uh, from the things that he enjoys like his games and TV and and all that stuff and sports And, and sometimes I have to take those away to get his attention because son if you want the good things you've got to stop doing the bad things and so I have to teach him that well what does he say well I'm mad at you have you ever heard that from your, from your kids? I'm mad at you. Why? Because you're doing something to them that they don't like. In the same sense, God took away something that they needed. And maybe at first they didn't understand and maybe even were mad and upset at God. But what God did was he did those because I need to get your attention. Because I can't let you keep going down the same path for much longer. Because there is the, you. There is so much bad that can happen at the end of this. But I'm going to get your attention today so that we don't get there. And it's not because I don't like you. It's because I love you. David once again understood this. Watch what he said in Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But what's it say? Now I obey your word. 
You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are callous, but I delight in your law. Look what he says. It was good for me to be afflicted. Why? So that I might learn your decrees. You see, sometimes it's good that we go through some trials because it can teach us to persevere and teach us to last and teach us good so that we don't get caught up in the same situation again. May God help us discern his voice. Robert Murray once said, if nothing else will sever me from my sin, Lord, send me such sore and trying calamities as shall awake me from my earthly slumber. What powerful words. But here's what happened. Because I don't want you to leave here today and say, oh, pastor again gave a heavy message. It was one of judgment. No, it's not. It's, It's about healing. It's about the blessings of God because I need you to see what happens next when he asks, is there any seed left in the barn? Until now, all of this had not borne fruit. But then what does he say? From this day on, I will bless you. From this day on, I will bless you. Why? Because you've heard what I've been trying to say. You've done what I've wanted you to do. And from this day on, what you lacked, I will give back. What you didn't have, I'm now going to give you in abundance. Because from this day on, I will bless you. Yes. The people listened patiently. And what happened? The blessings returned. The blessing returned. The blessing came back. You want to get your blessing back? Listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And do what he says. I want to end. You'll come. One more point. So what happened? Um, the blessings came back. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know, go home. No, there's more. They were assured that God would always protect them. Look what happens next. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. You see, you got to understand something. Israel was a small nation surrounded by nations that were much larger than it was at the time, and they could have easily been overtaken. Zerubbabel quite naturally would have felt scared by these powers that surrounded him. Any one of them could have overthrown him. Would this nation survive? God, in the last message, comforts him and says, because you did what I asked you to do, I am assuring you today that I, that these royal powers will be destroyed, that I will protect you. Let me tell you something today in the season that we're in, okay, amidst all the national and international upheavals that have taken place in our day and no doubt will continue to take place, the church of Jesus Christ, the covenant people of God will be preserved. Why do I know that? Because it says that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you understand that we come out on the other side and then we win? We win. 
I will shake. I will overturn. I will shatter. I will overthrow. Those are the words that he used to the people. He said, I don't want you to worry about tomorrow because I am in control. Because you've done what I told you to do. I have taken care of everything left. You don't worry about a thing. That need that you've been praying for, that thing that you've been waiting on, just hold on because baby, it's coming. You just do what I told you to do. And I'm telling you that God will protect you yes the church is the safest institution in the entire world it's the only thing that will ultimately be preserved <laughs> the Lord's coming back for his church for a bride who's spotless who's pure and who's holy let us not take what is unholy into what should be holy. Do you understand that today? I'm ready for an outpouring of His Spirit. I'm ready for homes to be transformed. I'm ready for those people that we talked about just 20 minutes ago that maybe have had church hurt and aren't in church anymore. I'm praying the walls down to see them walk through those two doors and come take a seat inside this church. Are you with me in that prayer? Are you ready to see people that have been lost and don't have anything to want to do with church that we start seeing them come and be the leaders of the church because we need them. We need them if the church is to exist and if the church is to be here tomorrow then we need the children then we need the youth we need them to take over and bring revival to this church because it's only through that that the power and the saving grace of God's going to come I hope you're with me today but my prayer is that we see revival <laughs>